It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You're locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Certainly wanted to do a podcast on the big Warriors Thunder game, and nobody better to do it with than Fred Katz, who hosts Locked on Thunder and is a writer for the Norman Transcript. And we talked about the game and a large variety of other things as well. And we go through the game, the atmosphere. I wanted to talk to him also because he was there. So we talked about the atmosphere of it, the mechanics of the game, what he thinks of the Warriors backup big men. And since it's a crossover podcast, there is a lot of Thunder conversation as well. But I find that team absolutely fascinating. So I hope you do as well. This episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a great way to buy and sell tickets. And if you download their free app and then use the promo code LOWARRIORS for Locked On Warriors, you get a $20 rebate on your first purchase. So the conversation runs about 45 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome on. We are doing a combined episode of Locked On Warriors and Locked On Thunder. Plenty to talk about after Saturday night's significant game between the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Golden State Warriors, their third game of the year, but Kevin Durant's return game in Oklahoma City. And Fred Katz and I are going to talk about it. And I think the place to start with this is something that you can attest to and I cannot, which is the atmosphere in the building. The atmosphere was, I mean, it was crazy. It was it was definitely a unique situation, and it, it came off that way. Like, I've never been to a mid-February blowout that has been quite like that, and my guess is I may never be one quite like that again. Right. Like, I had that trouble when I was writing about the game of just, it was more about the spectacle than anything else, but the spectacle absolutely lived up to it, and it wasn't only the crowd, it was that the the players really acted like they cared about what happened and cared about playing, and if you want to focus on, you know, the effort exerted, that's fine, or the extracurriculars like Westbrook and Durant jawing, or Durant and Robertson going head-to-head, those sorts of things were there in spades. So did you listen to Durant on the on, on the Bill Simmons podcast? I have not yet. It's something on my list to listen to. It's so good. It's it's so, so good. Um that's like that's like Simmons' wheelhouse. That kind of stuff, like that's what Simmons is best at right now, I think. Like those those kinds of interviews. And and Durant, like I've 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 noticed, like he's I it seems like he grew up reading Bill Simmons because at some at one point in the uh in the podcast he says, I effing love you. Like he was like a, a Simmons fanboy during. He was so open and honest, and it was just—I thought Simmons did such a good job with it. Um, anyway, I—I I thought it was interesting. Like Durant at one point was talking with him about how you know that a lot of athletes say they—they they don't have any emotions about games like this, and he was going out of his way to say I, I am emotional about this game, and it's an emotional game, and it was recorded a couple of days before he actually played the game. And he was saying I'll be emotional for the game. It's it's the only way to do it, and to pretend that you're tough because you don't have those emotions isn't there. And you know the Thunder, not every player on the Thunder, but on the record at least, you know they they all talk about we we pushed that away eight months ago. And I don't know if that's necessarily Durant called it a tough thing. I don't know if it's necessarily a toughness thing. Maybe for some players it is, some players it isn't. I think in some ways it's just a coping mechanism. Uh, I think in some ways it's a way to just not have to deal with media questions too. Uh, you know, if, we, if they say that enough, if they're boring enough, people aren't going to ask it as much. Uh, but like, it it's a thing. There are emotions there, which is fine. 
There's nothing wrong with there being emotions there. But there are, you know, you know there are emotions there. Of course there are. It would be weird if there weren't emotions there. And it, it all it all came out in that game. Like, Andre Robertson is the coolest, calmest, most laid-back person ever. And he was literally forehead to forehead with Kevin Durant. It was wild because it wasn't exactly the way that I expected some of those elements, the Robertson interaction, definitely the most notable of those to go. And an element of the Warriors that is uh, underreported might be strong, but is 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 underappreciated is that they're very emotionally honest guys to a man. I mean, that's just the way that that this team works. And it's unusual. Like I've as somebody who's covered the NBA for years, like it's a little bit strange how candid they are on a lot of these sorts of things. And I personally find it more engaging. I find it more accessible. I understand why players aren't that way most of the time, but I feel like it adds color to the to the dynamics of the league, and it adds a level of honesty that is nice to have. I do think, to some degree, too, that the chippiness in the game. I don't know if it was all like you know the it, it would be cool to say it was all because it was just Kevin Durant versus the Thunder because that's like the fun storyline. I don't know if it was all that. I think some of it from the Thunder's perspective was also um, a reaction to the last time they played when Zaza had that big flagrant foul on Russell Westbrook and he got called for the flagrant and stood over him and no one came over. And there was a narrative that followed after that, which was, you know, why did nobody come over and get in Zaza's face? And and I don't think that was a false narrative. Like Anthony Morrow, Anthony Morrow openly talked about how he spoke to the team after and said, like, they've got to stick up for their guys better. And I think they went into that game probably more conscious of like, this could get chippy. This could get physical. And I think when you go into a game with that mentality as opposed to going into a game with just kind of your normal everyday mentality, there's a much greater chance for those sorts of situations to happen than if you're just going in like it's a normal game against the Bucks in the middle of February. That's a great point. And the emotions also just come in not only from the building, but from the buildup that you just have to have because it's it's a home game. Everything is different. You know, the media crush is different. The way that you're dealing with stuff pregame is different. And so that seeps in plus the intensity of of the game that they wanted to have a good show. It's a national television game. It's the highest profile. It's the highest profile contest the Thunder will play from now until the playoffs. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you what, like you're gonna, you're gonna get you're gonna give it your all then. They they talk about like you know they're not they're not talking about it, they're not thinking about it, but like there there are players who are like wanting to know like did did Kevin say hi to the security guards when he walked in? They wanted to know that. Not every single one of them, uh, but like there are people in that locker room who are, like wanted to know things, uh, and and like that. It would be so weird if they didn't want to know that. That's the way it should be. If I worked with a dude for such a long time and I was friends with him and it's, you know, people talk about how it's a working, it's they're just work friends or a working relationship. I think that was the word that Durant used. But like work friends when you're on an NBA team is so different. There are 12, 15 people that you're hanging out with all the time. You're traveling with them. You're in the plane with them. You're with them hours upon hours, every single day, seven days a week. These are not nine to five work friends where you work in cubicles on different parts of the office. Maybe you cross paths at the water cooler once a week. It's a totally different environment. And and for someone just not to care about that, that would be weird. Caring is not weird. Caring doesn't make you not tough. It doesn't make you uh, in, insufficient as a human being or as a competitor. It doesn't make you uncompetitive. Um, you know, people, I, I, at the very least, I won't speak for others, but I, I appreciate that kind of stuff. Uh, I wish I wish guys would talk about it more openly because I think it would honestly make them look better. It resonates with people because it connects more with their lives. And you you talked about the travel component of it, and I think that's important. But also in basketball, your success is dependent on your relationships and the playing with other people. It's not an individual sport, so it's not even just the travel component of it. It's that if you are on the court, you're also dependent on four other people, and those four people change around, presumably among the other 14 guys on your roster. So you've interacted with them in a very different way. You know, it's more like even on a, like a team in in a work concept, but that that is your your entire success is based on that as well. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, did you think it was a little uncomfortable the environment on Saturday? No. Not uncomfortable, though I could imagine that there would be things that were said and yelled out, by, particularly by fans, but maybe by by players on each team that were uncomfortable. Like there was that weird interaction with, the, I think it was Draymond and Andre Iguodala with his security guard, like those sorts of things. Yes. But other than that, not too much. Yeah. I, I thought, 
I kind of thought the cupcake stuff was weird. I mean, you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I talked about it in the podcast. I, I wrote about it in like three articles leading up to it. You knew cupcake chants were coming. You knew people were going to make signs or do what else it was because, you know, you tweet anything about Kevin Durant and my mentions just blow up with cupcake jokes. But like that kind of stuff, it's not insulting. I don't think it's insulting. It's just like a little, you know, Bomani, Bomani Jones made a point on Twitter, which I thought was a really interesting one. And, and I, I have a, a, co- a column out on us from Sunday, which kind of wraps together like Bomani's tweet along with like kind of some of the stuff that Durant said on Simmons's podcast, along with like what what right do fans have to to disagree with or agree with a, 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 a free agent's decision on where he wants to go. And, and is that even the right word? Is like agree even the right word there? But Bomani made a point which uh you know you're calling Kevin Durant soft but you know a guy a guy left a town 8 months ago and you're therapeutically booing for 3 hours and you're calling Kevin Durant the soft one and i think that's a little bit far uh but i do think it's at the very least like an interesting uh, uh it's an interesting opposition to take as like the devil's advocate for why you should boo Kevin Durant uh, because I, I do think these sorts of philosophical debates go a lot deeper than, you know, so-and-so left the team, let's boot. They do, and I've described it before. I was I actually went back and listened to the most candid thing I ever really said on this whole story was actually back in October. And my point on it was that it goes to the idea of identity. And I think about this in terms of college, because for me, that's the only team that I have that I think about that way, that it feels more personal because there's there's more there that you put some of yourself into the team that you care about. And when somebody says no to that, it is a it is a more personal rejection than just a business decision. And I understand that part of it. The only element of the fan reaction that bothered me, and I fully expected this to be coming, I'd actually been asked about it in radio spots, is I think that the first interaction they did which was probably during player introductions should have been positive as like a one-off like we we buy ourselves plausible deniability if you want to do it from the callous perspective you can do it from the callous perspective if you want to do it from the genuine appreciation perspective it's it's that that's the better way of thinking about it just as a thank you for nine years of, of providing contribution eight years in oklahoma city nine years with a franchise and then you just boo relentlessly. I th- I think that would have bought them some currency. I understand that the human the human psyche is very different and it's very personal. And I never try to dissuade people from being genuine. But I think that would have made a difference. Yeah, maybe. I think that's kind of hard to organize. Like, I don't think well, no, twenty thousand I mean, people are genuine... gonna. That's not intuitive to twenty thousand people. You know. It depends. Like, so that used to be kind of the standard thing, you know, back in the day when players would leave and come back. But why I was fully confident it wasn't going to happen was it didn't happen with LeBron. And that is the most direct analog to what happened. And LeBron is more complicated because he's from Northeast Ohio and continues to rep Northeast Ohio, especially now. But it's the same general idea. And I understand the hurt. And again, that's why I'm not begrudging them for it. But that would have been I think that would have been a nice touch. But as you said, it's it's impossible to coordinate. That's like as a fan, I, I don't know exactly. It would have to probably be somebody unlike the Giants for me. If somebody left who had a huge contribution, that's probably what I would have done. But it's hard to know. Yeah, no. Look, I'm not, I'm not necessarily begrudging the booze. I do. I genuinely understand it, especially in a state like I think it's it's it, one of the reasons it's so big is because like. You know, one of the things where it's not necessarily in common, and, I, and LeBron leaving is a bigger deal just because it's LeBron and he was the local kid and he was the savior for that organization and all of that. And there's the entire history in Cleveland when Oklahoma City doesn't have a history. It's only been a franchise for nine years now. Uh, but Kevin Durant leaving in the, the one of the ways which kind of elevates it, it's the only pro, it's the only major league team in the entire state. Um, and, and the state kind of rallies behind the thunder in a lot of ways. And I, I understand, I absolutely understand the booing from that perspective. And I, I definitely don't think it's inappropriate and I definitely don't think it's unwarranted, but I, I do think there are ways that we can look at it where like, it doesn't have to be all the way positive or all the way negative. Uh, we can just look at it in a more nuanced sense and think like there were parts of this where I thought like, you know, like this is kind of a weird social thing. Like there's nothing 
about being a fan of a sports team, any sport that is rational. And like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of NBA, any NBA team, but like I'm, I'll use baseball because I'm a huge Yankees fan and there is nothing rational about me being a huge Yankees fan. I became a huge Yankees fan in the 1990s when I was growing up because I loved Derek Jeter and I loved Bernie Williams and I loved Jorge Posada and I loved Mariana Rivera and all those guys. And none of those guys are on the Yankees now. So aside from the fact that they don't have the same owner, they, I guess they have, no, they don't even have the same GM as they did in 1996. Like there is no constant other than the uniform and there's nothing rational behind still rooting for the same team. It, it, It would be rational for me to pick new players who I liked and go there. Uh, but we all do it. Every single one of us, every single sports fan, we all do it. And there's nothing rational behind it. And I think the booing, there's there's rational behavior inside this reality, which we've all created and we've all decided to social, like it's societally acceptable. But the reality that we've created is based on these irrational concepts. And it's 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 just this weird part of society, which is always existed it's always been like this and it's just kind of this this excusable way to be irrational and i'm not exempt from it i do it in baseball and i do it in football and uh it's it's just i think we should all acknowledge that it's this weird thing that we all accept is totally normal between this conversation and discussing uh, being open with our emotions you can definitely tell this is more of like a, a millennial conversation than a lot of other things because there i'm sure there's a selection of people that think about these things very differently and they are fully entitled to and that actually ties in with something that was another storyline that i actually found really interesting thinking about it from an economics perspective which is the whole mahogany part of this and so the reporting was that basically that Durant or his team or somebody wanted to rent out wanted to rent out the steakhouse and they said no and many went for the emotional angle of it and that's certainly possible I have not spoken with them I do not know why they allegedly turned it down if that is in fact what happened but going into the idea of a rational fandom is actually the best explanation for this because if they had said yes and shut it down especially considering Russell ended up going there after the game then they become a lightning rod. They become a villain, even if they made the right business decision. And in a city where that can actually resonate and that can people remember that for a long time, it matters. They made the right economic decision too, whether or not they felt that way morally. They they got so much plot. They got so much publicity. Would you would you have heard of Mahogany Steakhouse? I actually had, but that's for that's because of the job that we do. So right. you know, true. If, if other other than in that sort of circumstance, no. I mean. I've heard of it because I live in Oklahoma City and it's one of the best restaurants in Oklahoma City. Uh, but – and it's right next to the arena. But I bet you there are a lot of people out there who never would have heard of it or maybe just hadn't thought maybe, – maybe there are a lot of people out there who were like, oh, yeah, Mahogany. I haven't been there in a while. <laughs> you know, it's just so much – so much free advertising. So yeah, I mean that is well, and not absolutely. only and not only that, but you're reducing the negative because people w- there are people who would have held it against them if they had done the reverse. Oh yeah, no question. Look at what happened to his restaurant. Look what happened to KDs. He doesn't even have ownership in that anymore. But if it had the name KDs, it shut down for a month. They had to rebrand their Legacy Grill. Now they've got a bunch of uh, you know Oklahoma you know it's Oklahoma athletes on the wall, whether it's Blake Griffin or. Or whomever else. And, uh, you know, there's no Kevin Durant in there anymore. And it used to be KD's. And it used to be Kevin Durant stuff all over the world. I mean, look, that makes sense. That I have, you know, that that there's nothing weird about that. That makes perfect sense. Of course, that's a that's both a business decision and a social decision. I mean, that why would there be a place named KD's in Oklahoma City at that point, especially if he's no longer, you know, an owner of the place? He just makes every every sense. But it's just, you know, it's just something else. It all leaks. It all leaks into business, doesn't it? It always does. Cash rules everything around me. So what? What else? What else we got from this game? We talking about the actual because the actual basketball yeah. wasn't that. Wasn't well, so that so I thought it was it was interesting <laughs> how there was this disparity between the first half and the second half. So in the first half, it fit a lot of the conventions that we expected. So the Thunder kept it close early, used a lot of that adrenaline, and then the second Russell Westbrook went off the floor, the Warriors went on a massive run, and that provided the difference in the first half. Right. I mean, the Thunder, the Thunder have had some moments lately where the bench has been okay, where they've been all right with uh, Westbrook off the floor. Uh, but, but that was very much not the case against Golden State. And it's mostly not been the case ever since Ennis Kanter got hurt. You know, from a Thunder perspective, and I know the Warriors fans, this is a very menial thing, but from a Thunder perspective, like, 
Cameron Payne got benched in this game. They they put in Samaje Kristen in the second half, and Cameron Payne is he struggled in his 17, 18 games since coming back from his foot injury. And uh, Billy Donovan putting in Samaje Kristen after the game, there was so there was so much hectic. Like it was so hectic after the game that like there was just no opportunity for me. You know, between Kevin Durant and the Warriors guys wearing cupcake shirts after the game, and Russell Westbrook talking, and Robertson talking, and all that stuff, there was no time for me to stay late and miss out on somebody and ask Billy Donovan, like, hey, how about you playing Samaje Christian in the second half? And they didn't practice on Sunday. But um man, that was uh that was that was interesting to me. Because they that was an acknowledgement from Billy, like this bench stuff is not working right now. Well, Fred was lucky enough to experience this game live. I've been lucky enough to experience a lot of other amazing games live and I can attest to the value and of that experience. It's just really incredible. And the best way to do that if you're not lucky enough to to get a credential or a friend who can give you a ticket for free, is to use SeatGeek, which is my personal way of buying and selling tickets. And there are a couple different reasons why that's true. One of the big ones is that it is an aggregator, so it takes a lot of different places that you can buy tickets and puts them in one place. And so you don't have to worry about missing out on a on a deal or a set of tickets because they're not on the site that you're looking at. They'll be on SeatGeek. And also because they have a great service called DealScore. And I've talked about this at various moments in the past, but I used to buy and sell tickets. It was my job. And part of my job was knowing arenas really, really well and knowing where the good sight lines, where the good seats were, especially for and for my own personal use, you know, because that's the best value is if you can find an under underappreciated spot and, and get a good value on those. And SeatGeek uses DealScore. And what I found when I started using the app was that they did a really crazy good job of that and they if they can do that with somebody who knows these markets really well if their algorithms are that well tuned then they'll do a great job for you as well so you can check out deal score they're a great aggregator and also you can get uh, it's, it's an awesome deal right now you can download the free SeatGeek app go to the settings tab enter the promo code lo warriors for locked on warriors and you get $20 rebate on your first purchase. So you get to try out the app that I use personally and highly recommend. And you also get $20 free whenever you buy your first purchase and you tell them that you came from us. So hopefully they will keep advertising with us. So again, SeatGeek, download the app, promo code LO Warriors. And now more with Fred. It was also interesting that the Warriors made a decision to play Ian Clark instead of Patrick McCaw. I think some of that was just due to the stage that this was, you know, a high intensity game, a, a rival crowd. But at the same point, I, I so they were probably trying to protect McCall a little bit in that way, just like Damian Jones, Briante Weber didn't play. The Weber's older, of course. Right. I think Billy and, Donovan did the same thing when he put Morrow in first over Alex Abrinas. Right. And isn't Abrinas still coming back from injury? Uh, he, he's healthy now. He's okay. fine. I mean, as of at least that's what he says. He says he's fine. Uh, he, he was just having back spasms for a few games, but but he says he's okay. But but so the my criticism, my counter to that for the Warriors is that if they want, even if he's a small part of their postseason rotation, this is probably the lowest stakes equivalent of this that McCaw's going to get. So like once you once the outcome was relatively comfortable, you know, of course, the Thunder came back. They got it down to I think 12 was the closest it ever got. But I would have given McCall a little bit just to, to see it in that circumstance, to see how those guys respond once the stakes get that way. But that also is not the way coaches think. Right. Coaches are a lot more paranoid about leads than fans are. Coaches, oh my God, yes. It is a million times. Like, how many times, how many more times do you hear fans say, immediate to? How many more times do you hear fans and media say? And this is true for every single coach. I can't think of a coach that this is not true for. How many more times do you hear fans or media say, why is he leaving his guys out there with that lead? And compare it to how many times you hear them say, why is he removing his guys so early from the game to give them rest? Yeah. That's true I, for I mean, every I, single coach. It's true. I, and and for, for me personally, like I've made that a, a big thing this year that I think Kerr plays his starters too much in the fourth quarter. And it hasn't reared its head yet, knock on wood, because nobody ever wants anybody to get hurt. But it's completely true that coaches are incredibly risk averse, even when in Kerr's case, he's not that way with everything else. You know, like they're they're being super judicious about everything. They're basically keeping Zaza Pachulia out, whether he's healthy or not. They basically have said, we're going to be super patient with this because we have no reason not to. But then Draymond Green, Kevin Durant are in the game with like four minutes to go when they're up by 20. 
So, you know, it, 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 again, rationality doesn't always tie in with coaches too. They, they have a lot of it, but it's a little bit different, especially in basketball where you're connected with it as opposed to managers in baseball that can be a little bit more separated. I think it's also like one of those things where, okay, so like what's, what's a lesson that you will learn? You are a lawyer. What is a lesson that you will 100% learn if you go to law school that often the answer to something is the counterintuitive one? Uh, and and I think this is kind of one of those scenarios, too, where first off, in terms of resting guys, if they're hurt or whatever it is, like a lot of those times, resting guys is not necessarily playing them 28 versus 36 minutes. It's just whether you suit up or not. So those those eight minutes don't necessarily make nearly as big of a difference as playing zero minutes versus eight minutes, you know? Um, just, just suiting up, mentally exhausting yourself, having to go through the process of even going for a game, even if you never even get in, uh, is just tiring. And that's not really a day off. Um, and I think, I think that's something that, that, that factors into that kind of stuff too, in terms of like the Zaza situation, or, you know, you see it with a bunch of other teams too, with teams being cautious, bringing guys back or getting guys extra rest or whatever it is. And I think there's maybe a psychological aspect too. Like I something along the lines of I'd rather play Stephen Curry thirty five minutes instead of thirty four minutes or thirty five minutes instead of thirty one minutes, and because losing this game would just be too mentally detrimental to the team, and the risk is just not worth the reward, um, even if the risk is incredibly minimal. And and I think every single coach tends to operate that way, and I think when every coach tends to operate that way, we might have to process because. Because one thing that coaches have that none of us have, even if the numbers support some of this stuff, is that like when they're in the locker room, there are just some things that they just understand about a team we can't. And and I think this might be one of those. I, I used to be firmly on the side of like, why don't coaches pull guys earlier? And uh, I, I've kind of turned around. Like I, I, there's got to be a reason why none of them, absolutely none of them, the best ever, none of them do it. There are a couple of reasons. One is also the idea of that it's 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 worst. It's considered. I, I disagree with this, but it's considered worse to be wrong the way they are instead of the other way. Like, I, and and some of that gets into something I've never really asked players. This it'd be interesting too. Of when you get pulled and it looks like you're not going to come back in the game. Of what what it's like to then have to come back in the game because I think that's a big reason why some coaches don't do it is that if they put in their backups. And then they, you know, the starters, whether it's that they're doing stuff with the training staff or whatever, that they feel like they're done and then they have to come back in, that that is that is a problem. And if that is a physical issue, I completely understand. You know, I, I legitimately don't know. I have not been that athlete. I have not thought of ever asking that question at the right time. So that could be a part of it as well. And then the other thing is that coaches, unless there's an injury late and in that circumstance, yeah, they can really get blamed. It doesn't happen that much if you happen to lose a lead or whatever like that. Like when the Warriors did that a couple of times by keeping their starters in, but they were basically playing not to get hurt. That's a very different conversation than when a team puts in their backups and their backups get smoked and then they lose the game. Right. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense, too. I wonder well, if it's ever going to so change. I, I want to talk. I want to talk. I, I don't think so, at least not in the near term, especially considering so many coaches are former players. So, like, I mean, you're going to you're just going to see a lot of those elements perpetuate because it's the way that they were they experienced especially the ones who were in the starter realm because that's the way they were handled and if they like that then by all means right makes sense but so i want to talk to you about russ so he had a i mean it's unfair to call it a a representative game because russ is usually a lot better than this but in terms of everything running through him and some of the shots not falling and some of the passes ending up in enemy hands it did fit that general scope, even if it was on the more negative side than usual. Yeah, uh, I thought I actually thought he played. He shot the ball well. He, he shot did. The, he shot the ball really well, which masked a lot of what he did. Um, you know, he shot well from mid range. I think he, I think I forget what he shot from three. I don't have it right in front of me, but I think he shot a three decent, of, three of ten. Oh, so he didn't shoot great from three, but it's not like he was. You know, he's had worse nights than that. Yeah, and he got uh, to the line eighteen times. Right. I mean, that's that, huge. He, he was he was super. I mean, look, he had forty seven points on what twenty six shots, twenty six like field goal attempts. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a that's a he had a really overall efficient night in terms of just scoring well and shooting the ball well. But yeah, to go with those eleven turnovers, uh, he had a lot of those moments which you see from him every once in a while where his legs are moving faster than his mind uh, when he you know 
he he drives by somebody, whether it's in a pick and roll or an isolation situation, and he gets into that that spot. Like you know, it's it usually happens like eleven feet from the basket where he goes to try to take off, and then he thinks, oh, gonna pass instead, and he and he and he looks to his right and throws to his right, but there's a defender to his left or whatever it is. There's a defender right there. It happened a couple times. Ian Clark picked off a pass. Uh, I think Iguodala picked off a pass. That's how a bunch of those turnovers came. And those are the types of turnovers that kill you against Golden State. Not just because they're live ball turnovers, but they're live ball turnovers with your momentum going the opposite direction of where they're going to be going in transition. And it gives the whoever intercepts the pass a running start going the opposite way. And those are the kinds that just absolutely kill you. You might as well just give them a free lane to the basket. Right. And my general line with the Warriors is that the best way to to beat them is with their help. And that does exactly the opposite. You know, like you want to win the turnover margin, you want to get to the line more. And while Westbrook got to the line 18 times, the free throw margin attempt margin was 36 to 35 for the Thunder. So it's hard to it's hard to win that way. And there's a certain part of me that feels like, you know, that it's not the biggest deal for the Thunder to have trouble with the Warriors, considering they're at two very different places right now. But I did enjoy the intensity that they came out with in that first quarter. I thought they played very well. Yeah, I mean, look, they they, they play hard. That's never an issue. I honestly, look, you watch some guys play around the league and you can point out, and I'm, I know you can do the same thing. You point out and you're like, that guy just doesn't go hard every single play. And, you know, obviously there, there are guys who will take off every once in a while because they're human beings. But for the most part, there's it's not really ever an effort issue on this team. Like they, they tend to go hard. And like they were, if you can't go hard in that game last night, that environment, something's up. Like it's a human element again, right? Like, you're going to go hard in that environment. You just have to. Like I, even I was sitting there writing my gamer. I was like, even I'm just like, my gamer better be good tonight. Like my gamer has to, this is too big. This has to be good tonight. And I was like locked in writing my gamer, you know, like it's, it it just, it has that effect. It's the human, it's the human element of figuring that stuff out. And that ties in with the idea for me of why I thought the, the stage with the national TV and everything else played a factor and everybody amping it up so much because players care about that. That's when they know they're even their friends and family that don't watch every game, but that that maybe they don't subscribe to League Pass or whatever, that live in other places wherever they grew up, they're going to watch those games. And so you want to show out, you want to do your best. And that's the way we are. You know, you're, you're getting your, your close up. You think this is the opportunity to to get that when I'm writing a piece that I know is going to get a lot more attention I put I put that more time in it. I try to make sure every comma is in place and do everything else because you know it's going to get scrutinized to a different degree yep absolutely it's the same thing except uh I think more people watch that game than anybody who reads either of our pieces yeah but it's all on scale that's the way it is for anybody in their life you know you have you have certain moments that you know are going to have more attention that are going to have bigger microscope and you try to make sure you're on point absolutely this uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention, just because you see you see them less. What did you think of the Warriors' big men in this game? Because it's such a frequent co- point of conversation on on my show and everything else. So McGee, Looney, and McAdoo got those minutes due to Zaza and David West being out. Yeah. So McGee, people are really excited about Joel McGee. Um, is it is it wrong that I'm not? It is I'm, totally fair that you are not. I mean, okay. So he's obviously an incredible athlete. Uh, there's. There's no question. That's never been a question. He's an unbelievable athlete, and he he has some fantastic finishes around the rim. And in some ways, like remember when I, did we talk about this? I talked about this with someone on a podcast recently. Did we talk about this with? Uh, did we talk about this with uh, with him and DeAndre Jordan last time we podcasted? Maybe I don't remember. So so in whatever summer it was, 2012 or 11 or whatever the heck it was. Like remember he and DeAndre Jordan signed those. Not quite identical, but like very, very similar deals, like four for forty-two and four for forty-four or whatever. Uh, well, if that was true, that was, that was after the lockout. So yeah, yeah. So they signed. That was twenty eleven, right? So they signed. They signed those extensions off. Those were the rookie, the rookie scale extensions, and and they signed those like within you know a very short time of each other. And the question was like, who would you rather have? Because they were both the two, the two young, really athletic centers, right? And and it was you know. Which one would you rather have, JaVale McGee or DeAndre Jordan? That was a real question. Um, DeAndre Jordan, you know, refined his game and became a real defensive player and, um, you know, obviously a threat in the pick and roll and great screener and all that stuff. And and JaVale went the other way. And I still think there are so many things that JaVale 
has that go the other way. Like he's not a very good screener. Um, people talk about him as a pick and roll threat because of the threat of the lob, but I don't think he's that good of a screener. He leaves his screens really early. Sometimes he doesn't always square guys up. Uh, he doesn't always stay firm and, and hold through a guy when he gets hit. Um, and I think that can be, I mean, it's not like a huge problem, but if you have a guy like that, like you want him setting hard screens, he's, he's not, you know, as, as good as you'd want a guy on that team at setting, you know, pin downs for clay and that kind of stuff. And defensively, he's still out of place really often, which is really, really a thing. Like a lot of those plays where Westbrook got to the rim, Westbrook ended up getting fouled and that kind of stuff. Uh, it was JaVale Lake coming over and help. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know at this point in his career if that's something that's ever really going to change to a point where he's going to be a plus defender. It's not like, I mean, other than maybe some the time on the Wizards where that team was just a madhouse, that he has had some really terrible coaching. I mean, he played under George Carl for the Nuggets. He's bounced around a little bit. And there are a lot of basic elements of it that he doesn't really have together. Like, if he could be a better screener, as you said, and you're right, he he sometimes doesn't have that attention. And it's in many ways more frustrating when a guy is a capable offensive player to not set good screens because they would be helping themselves. Yes, and, I, I, that's a great point. And so if he could do, let's say, one every two months, like they pick, whether it's the coaching staff or Draymond, pick one fundamental element of basketball and just say... If you can become passable in this, by the end of the year, you will be able to make like five to 10 million a year. Like that, that's really all it'll take for him is to get through a couple of those basic things. But as you said, like his pick and roll defense in this game was horrendous. And he's, he's a novelty, but the Warriors are very good with him on the floor offensively because they're comfortable dealing with a limited pick and roll crashing offensive rebounding center because it's similar offensively to what Festus Azili did. And JaVale McGee has a way better vertical and way better hands. Right. No, I mean, look, he's, I will not doubt his, his, uh, his athletic ability, his finishing ability around the rim. He's, he's got like the most underrated dunk of the last 10 years in the dunk contest, which was that twice uh, two baskets at the same time which was i was i was there and it was I, I covered that dunk contest it's the only one before the one upcoming that i've ever covered and it was criminal that he lost it was un. that's one of the best dunk contest dunks of all time in my opinion it and was also also i will mention that as blake griffin is is probably the best in-game dunker i've seen in person and that car dunk was not good in person he's a he's a wonderful dunker but that was intensely it didn't it didn't pop in the arena at all well, you know why Blake – it was predetermined that Blake won the dunk contest. They had to get the Kia in the finals. But he didn't have to win. He just had to make the no, finals. No, I know. I'm just joking. I don't want to get a call. If he had jumped week. over the roof, <laughs> if he had jumped over the roof, he wins. No no problem. No, Baron I know. I'm with ball. you. I, Blake, is, Blake is like a top three or four favorite in-game dunker of all time for me. You see his dunk yesterday? Oh, my goodness. I haven't seen it yet, actually. I didn't, oh, my goodness. He dunked on Miles Plumley so bad his brother got traded. <laughs> Can we talk about the last two trades in the NBA have been Plumleys? Yeah. Next up, next up, Marshall Plumley, and then next up, Joffrey Laverne. No, it has to be have one you, of the other. It has to be one of the other Zellies before it goes to. No, Joffrey have you Laverne. noticed that Joffrey Laverne looks exactly like Miles Plumley? Well, he has the same beard. They have different facial structures. Oh, I think they look. Zach, you know, I, do you know Zach Harper's nickname for him? No. Kilometers Plumley. I hope he's. I hope he puts the axle. I think it's an axle glaf on it, but I hope he puts that on as well. But yeah, down with that. I love. I love that. I love that nickname. I think it's. I think it's. Such, I actually should tell Joffrey about that nickname and get his get his opinion on it. Get the official opinion. Also, before you go, Danny, I I do need to say something to the podcasters because I made a promise on my Friday podcast oh, to my listeners, and I need to. Uh, I need to tell them this. So so okay. I told them that I would ask Kyle Singler about a hairstyle. That he wore in practice on Thursday, which was or on Friday, which was he wore like the man bun, but it was uh, his hair is kind of short. And it was as I described it to Kyle, I thought it was ridiculous looking. They I promised the listeners and I got requests over the weekend reminding me to ask him and I asked Kyle and Kyle said the reason he wore it like that in practice was because he didn't have like whatever product he uses to put in his hair. He wanted to make sure it didn't distract him in practice, so we had to tie it up at the back. And that was the reasoning. And and I know your Warriors listeners could not care less about this one, but you'd be surprised how much Thunder fans care about Kyle Singler's hair. 
I was afraid you were going to ask me about mine, but I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> no, you're going to go with like the uh, the Aaron Baines man bun. I legitimately, as I, I do not, uh, people could do whatever the heck they want with it. I just, that's, that's not my thing at all. Like the, the, that whole, that whole component of it, if you're doing it for manageability reasons, but yeah, I mean, Aaron Baines and, and Benno Udre being in the same, being on the same rotation is just incredible. Oh yeah. Especially, does Udre still have, uh, I haven't watched them in, I forget. Does he, he got rid of the, uh. The 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 blonde the blonde bun right. I haven't I haven't seen him in a little bit because he got pushed out of the rotation once Reggie got back. Right. But I, I don't think it's it was more that eternal glory at the beginning of the year when he was playing a lot and the two of them together and it just it still resonates. Right. Well, he got at the beginning of the year the the it was not just a bun it was it was like bleached the bun. Yeah, it was, it was the blonde like blonde streaks or whatever it was. It was it was magnificent. Incredible. I think I think this means the conversation's deteriorated. Or or it's elevated, either way. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Oh, do you have an opinion on, on James Michael McAdoo's headband? Because it is frustrating to me because he, I can get him confused all the time now. I have an opinion on uh, Briante Weber being arguably the most accessorized player in the NBA. It's fantastic. He's, it's a part, he of, the, it's a part of the reason he should still be on the team after this 10-day contract. He wears everything. Everything. Like, there's not an item he doesn't wear. Yeah, because he wears a sleeve on one arm. He wears a... It's a. I think he wears a wrist thing and an elbow thing on the other one. And he wears tape on both his wrists. Yep. And I think he has uh, finger tape on at least one finger. I think he wears one of the compression the compression things as well on his leg. Um, yeah, he's got he's got it all. Next game he's going to come out he, with a he, pocketbook. He's like, the, he's like the 2K my player when you're just like, well, I have I have access to all these things. I might as well just put them on. <laughs> that is exactly. And like he he he's absolutely a he's absolutely a 2K my player. <laughs> That is very true. He wears everything. So, okay, I want to ask you this. I think this is a good way to end it, and I think your fans will be interested in this. Okay, so the Thunder, and this is largely true of the Warriors, but their their storylines are a little bit different. This game is out of the way now. It looks pretty definite that the Thunder will make the playoffs. What The seeding is, vari- is variable. What are you looking forward to for the rest of the regular season? From the Thunder specifically? Yes. Um... You know, I, I have a, a relatively cliche and generic answer, but like We're I, all about emotional honesty on this podcast. I, We've already talked about this. I would I mean I honestly the number one thing that I want to see is the number one thing that anybody else wants to see, which is I want to see if Russell Westbrook's gonna average a triple double. Because I, I think that would be you know, you can talk about stat padding on rebounds and all that kind of stuff, but like it's an unbelievable accomplishment if he is able to do it. And even if, you know, he's got a lot of uncontested rebounds, a lot of free throw rebounds and whatever it is, but like, you know, no one's been able to stop pad themselves to a triple double average since Oscar Robertson. And uh, I just think that would be an unbelievable, an unbelievable accomplishment uh, if he's able to finish the year averaging a triple double. And I would just want to see how many he ends up with. Like he's got 26 now. Is he going to get 40? Like I want to, I want to see how many he ends up with because he's already had an incomprehensible number. And, uh, I know well, the, and the, difference, and the, morning, difference, but... the difference in pace is also incredible here because this is not a circumstance where like quarterbacks in football where the circumstances are more favorable to him than his than his predecessors. I would argue, I mean, with outside of the current change in the hand check rules, that it's harder to do now than it was then because of how much slower the game is. And my answer for the Thunder would be actually pretty similar, which is I don't. I, I can't care as much about whether he actually wins it or not because that is outside of anyone's hands. But can a player who finishes, let's say they get the sixth or seventh seed, be deserving of the MVP whether he wins it or not? I believe right now that he is. He would be my MVP if they gave me a vote, which they do not. And will that continue for the whole season? Because that would be incredible. It. it I think that's a great one. Um, yeah, he'd be... Gosh, he'd be the lowest MVP, the lowest seeded MVP in uh, since I don't know was it Moses Malone. What, what were the Rockets in '82 when Moses Malone won? They had forty some odd wins, but uh, I don't think they were a six or seven seed. I think they were higher than that. I think they were like a four or five, but I don't remember for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. So uh, yeah, I mean, he'd be the lowest one since I actually don't know. I should know the answer to that, but I actually don't. It'll since, be since since your since your best friend Yankee Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, Alex Rodriguez won a last place team. There you go, Mike Trout. Did it on a bad team? Yeah. Larry Walker did it on a bad team? That's and that's also – but there is a big difference in baseball, and this is part of the reason why I love the basketball MVP is it's whole league. 
you don't have that sample issue. You don't have it where it's a weak year or a strong year, like how guys make the all-star team sometimes and you go, oh, well, that's not fair because their their conference is bad. NBA, it's whole league. You you have to earn it. There's no way to, there's no way, even if it's a weak year, it's still an incredible performance. Right. Baseball, there's also not as much of a uh, emphasis on quality of team in the voting. And, and there shouldn't be because one player can't have the impact on a team that he can because have basketball. It's, because it's basically an individual sport and a team concept. Right. Which I used to love and now don't enjoy as much. I still love baseball. Anything else? I think we've, I think, well, I, I'm not going to say we covered this game thoroughly, but we definitely covered the overall experience pretty well. Yeah. I oh, see. did you have a, oh, here's one. Did you have a favorite sign or a favorite shirt or anything that you saw? Oh, um, you know, I will say the the coward shirts that started with a K were, were terrible. They, that's just not a good pun. That's just not. I did not think that was a good pun. I as as the self appointed pun pun master general of Thunder Twitter, not not impressed with coward with K. Um, Until Dan Wojcicki decides he wants to cover the Thunder. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I still got it on Wojcicki to right now. Um, I'm trying to think if I had a fear. I mean, there was there was a girl who was actually wearing a cupcake costume. Did you see this? I did. That was pretty. I don't know if her parents uh, are the greatest parents of all time and should get an award or if that kid needs to go into child services, but there is nowhere in between. I can't think yet that I fully agree with you that there is another one. Yeah, I was surprised, but also TV, they don't necessarily do a great job of showing the signs. That's why I was wondering in person, because sometimes sometimes those can come through and not make the air. Yeah, there was one there was one with a with a grammar error that I really thought was funny, uh, which was uh, oh shoot. What was it? Now I got to find it because I tweeted it out and uh, the grammar error. Now I'm finding it on my, uh, it was a Russia joke. Did you see this one? Oh, I trust, I trust Russians more than Durant or something like that. Yeah, it was, I trust Russia more than KD, which they're obviously saying, I trust, they're trying to say, I trust Russia more than KD. Wait, okay. Uh, you're saying, I, they're saying, I, now I'm confused myself. <laughs> they are now saying that they trust Russia more than Kevin Durant trusts Russia, which is a really funny misphrasing. I really enjoyed that, but more ironically. What, so is your expectation that it'll be just a, basically the game in March will be this turn from 11 to like 9 uh, or 8? Yeah, or yeah no, there's no way it's going to be the same. There's no way. Well, and when you bought tickets to that game, those fans knew what they were expecting and what, what was going to be a part of the experience and the first yeah. time. And so no, I mean, that has to tone down. It shouldn't be the same. Like, this is supposed to be a unique moment with an incredible environment and an amazing crowd and a one-time thing. And if it's like this every time, doesn't that kind of if, – if it's the same way next time, doesn't that make this time go down from like a 10 to a 9 at 0.5? Sure. Like that – if it's the same way next time, that kind of demeans this time in some way. I would agree. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's about all I've got. That's what Steven Adams does at the end of interviews when he like finishes an answer and he just keeps going and no one has a question. He goes, yep, but yep, that's uh, that's it. That's all. I like I'm it. The Adams. I like it. Well, it's always a pleasure. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk in March when you and I will talk in between as well. I'm sure we will talk in between. Thanks again to Fred Katz for taking the time to come on. You can listen to him on Locked on Thunder and you can read him at the Norman Transcripts, and follow him on Twitter, at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z, was a fascinating experience for me, and I wrote about this a little bit for The Athletic, because it was so much more about the human drama and the spectacle than the game itself, considering they had already played two lopsided games before, so that wasn't really where the drama lied, and I have no problem with that. The NBA season is really long, and it helps break things up, make things interesting, especially considering... This, absent this, probably would have been a letdown game for the Warriors after Memphis, considering Memphis had beaten them twice in a row, only team to beat them twice. The Warriors got a nice win. Now they go to Denver to face the Nuggets, and was it was intriguing. I, I really do enjoy that as much as I'd like to be kind of the, the cold-hearted analyst at moments in my life. I can certainly appreciate the personal drama that was involved in this game, not only for the players, but also for the fans. And it, it certainly is important. So you can piece that together from this game and was a part of the experience. And now we move forward into other things. And the Warriors got a little bit of help with the Spurs losing again. Looks more and more like, barring the unforeseen, they will have a comfortable margin for the 
best record in the West and home court advantage throughout the playoffs. So not the biggest deal in the world, considering we're already at the all-star or we're not even at the all-star break, but still interesting. If you want to support the show, you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can leave a rating, leave a review. You can subscribe, download every episode, especially when we put out special weekend episodes like I did after the Grizzlies game. It's always a great way to do that through subscribing. And also you can support the show by checking out SeatGeek. A great way to buy and sell tickets, something I use personally. And if you download the free app, use the promo code LOWARRIORS for Locked On Warriors. You get $20 off your first purchase. So you buy something and they just send you $20 back. It's a great way to use an app that I already do use to buy and sell tickets. And again, the promo code is LOWARRIORS from SeatGeek. I will be back tomorrow with an episode on the Warriors-Nuggets game, probably going to have a guest working through all that at the moment, and going to have some other stuff throughout the week, but as I've mentioned before, I will, I'm not exactly sure what the timing is going to be for the podcast once the game stop, I'm going to be in New Orleans for All-Star, and then I'm going to be off for a week, but I will, you know, so there won't be anything produced during that time, but it'll probably be pretty quiet, and then I'll do a catch-up episode, presumably on Sunday night, maybe Monday morning, depending on how late I get in. And then be back on the normal train going with everything else. So this week will be probably pretty normal, except at the game stop. You know, Wednesday's game with the Kings, I will certainly do a podcast on. And then I'll figure it out from there, depending on what kind of content gets generated from All-Star. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.